Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Do you ever wonder what's going to happen to the economy and, and most importantly, where to put your money? Well, I certainly do. And that's why today I'm delighted to be joined by John Malden, the best-selling author of Bullseye's Investing, Bullseye Investing, which targets real returns in a smoke and mirrors market. Uh, this is the 21st anniversary of John's newsletter, Thoughts from the Front Line, uh, which I've been reading almost from the beginning. Uh, John seems to write and know about everything under the financial sun. Uh, global capital markets, economic forces, cultural trends, you name it. And, and when you ask anyone in the industry about John Malden, the, answer like, the likely answer is, John's got the best Rolodex in the business. Uh, his network of in-the-know uh, economists and big-name money managers is unparalleled. And, and, and significantly, his Strategic Investors Conference, which gathers all the top names every year, uh, is among the best in the business. And John counts among his close friends and associates uh, many of the biggest names in the world of finance and money management. So, John, I'm here for answers. <laughs> <laughs> I have questions. And let me just run through some of the things I think we'd be interested in. Okay. Inflation, monetary policy, okay. what the infrastructure bill is about, reconciliation bill. Not a problem. Energy policy, looming changes in the tax code. Yeah, easy. Uh, impact of CRT. <laughs> ESG, uh, cultural Marxism, China, open borders, immigration, cryptocurrency. And, and you're going to do this in how many hours? We've got about five shows. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, but you've, you've, you've written so comprehensively and so broadly and so interestingly in so many things. You and I talked before. It's really kind of hard to zero in. But let's, let's, let's start really with, uh, well, let's, let's start with where we are in Washington right now. We're just, we've got two big... Uh, financial bills passed. We've got a budget, we got an infrastructure bill, and then we got this $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation budget bill. I, I think this is going in badly. What are, what are your thoughts? And I'm hesitating here because um, I, I, I want to clearly bifurcate the two bills, okay? Fair enough. I think the infrastructure bill, and there's some things in it that I would like to change. I mean, of course there are. But in general, it's a good bill. We need to be spending some money on our infrastructure, and for the most part, that bill does it. Now, it's going to add a quarter of a million to our debt, the way the CBO scores it, which is... Okay. A quarter trillion? Quarter trillion, I'm sorry, yeah. It's like Edward Dirks in a billion here. A yeah, billion, billion there. Now, now pretty soon you're trillion. talking money. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 but we really do need to fix our infrastructure. I mean, it's a problem. That being said, the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, they're talking about, you know, human infrastructure, it's just... It's just every progressive's 
in a wet dream, throwing money at this group, that group, um, and it's not three and a half trillion dollars because they've, a lot of their programs are only scored for five years. And Milton Friedman, I don't know if he was the first to say it, but there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. And when you want to give people these tax credits, you want to give people these benefits, and then you say in five years, well, we're going to take those from you. Really? That's not how it's worked. And you haven't been able to get Republicans in the past to be willing to say, we're going to take that, those programs from you. Because it just becomes almost impossible. So the actual cost of this bill is going to be five, five and a half. And since they always underestimated, it's probably six to seven trillion of uh, debt. Now, they're going to want to raise taxes to do that. The tax increase that they're talking about I don't know any other way to say it, but it's a guaranteed recession. It just, it just is. You cannot take 15 to 20% extra take out of the economy, even if it's smoke and mirrors. Oh, well, we're going to take it here, we're going to put it there, and think that it doesn't change the landscape. It's multiplayer game theory writ large. Everybody's built their businesses. They've built their corporations. They've built their lives around a certain set of assumptions about the future. Now, you take away the assumptions. You change them significantly. I mean, your capital gains just you know, are gone. They're, mm -hmm. You know, you you're, you you raise your taxes um, to you know uh, what will be for California, New York. Uh, you know, you're now getting into the sixty to sixty-five percent range by the time you get st city, state, and local. Um, if you do polls in the United States and you, and you ask people, what do you think about uh, taxes? Is 25% too high? This was done a few years ago. And people say, yeah, 25% is too much. Just the average poll, then, well, but the t rate on the, the rich is 39 or 37 to six, so it'll go back to 39. But then you've got your 4% uh, um, uh, the Medicare jab and all that other stuff that's been added um, in there, sure. Pretty soon you're, you're eating your, your capital that can be used to invest. And, and the people that are promoting this say, well, we'll just print the money. But that's not <clears throat> what happens. And you, there, there's an identity in economics. And, and by identity, it's, you know, I mean, in math, that identity is one plus one equals two. So in economics, investment equals savings. It comes from the original Fisher equation back in the 30s. 
And so <coughs> when you reduce savings, and you're going to reduce savings when you increase taxes, that means you're going to have less for investments. Um, when you increase corporate taxes, corporations are going to make less money. Duh. Uh, they're, it, just, it just starts rolling downhill. And now, will we adjust? Yes. But the adjustment is going to be more than um, getting 60 Republicans, conservatives, and you know, a majority of the uh, Congress and, and um, a White House, because some of that stuff is just going to be hard to roll back. History shows us that Republicans have a real difficult time of rolling back benefits. Well, you, and, you, look, at, you look at Ronald Reagan and, and people think about, well, he was in there to, to bring, reduce the size of government. It, he slowed the growth. Mm -hmm. They didn't reduce the growth. And there hadn't been a single president. Trump came a little closer, but didn't really get that done. Trump ran monster deficits. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's, let's, he, he just. Now, did he shrink the spending at all? I mean, I, I know he's doing it on the deficit. Was there any, is there anything that. Uh, I don't. I don't think it, so. They, they shrunk, they shrunk some of the taxes. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's, I mean, when you. When you're you're starting to run trillion plus, you know, taxes and and for, forget the, the the COVID year that doesn't count. Uh, I mean, it counts in 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 the real world. We we, um, but COVID was it was kind of like the 1918 Spanish flu. It came and hit, and it just changed everything. It changed the equations all over Europe in the U.S. And it took a while to recover from that. Um, COVID's going to take, it's going to take longer, I, I'm, I'm afraid, to recover from COVID than we would like it to do. We, we're doing a, well, it's, we're doing it's, a good it's, job. It's, 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 it's COVID, but it's really the government's response to COVID. I mean, well, the lockdowns were egregious. But, you know, one of the things that Steve Moore and I talked about last week, I mentioned to you, as you look at the top leaders in, in the Biden administration, you look Biden, Kamala, mm -hmm. all the people running the, the departments, and then you look a little further into Congress, Pelosi, uh, uh, Schumer, et cetera, et cetera. I think I asked you this question. How, if you take the top 40, how many years of private sector experience did they have taken all together? And I told you I didn't know, and so I'm going to let you give the answer because I because it doesn't help if you prepped me. <laughs> eight, 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 <laughs> eight years. And so we got we've got people doing these things that don't they've never met a payroll, they've never done anything that would uh, they have to live with the consequences of a good investment decision, bad investment decision. They're just playing with imaginary money, and they're acting like it, and then. We need to talk about how it's going to get financed because you can't raise taxes enough to pay for this kind of spending. So you're going to have to borrow or you're going to have to inflate. And I think it's going to be both. And, you know, I mean, you, we and I talked before. What, what's our debt now as a percentage of GDP? Well, I mean, if you look at the U.S. debt clock, I looked it up just for it was 128 um, percent. We've got a total of 28 trillion and counting. Uh, plus another, another three and a half trillion of state and local debt. 
which takes the total debt up to you know. And the economy is about 21, 22, 23 yeah. trillion right now. Yeah. Uh, but that's the highest it's been since World War II, maybe higher than oh, World yeah, War II. It is. And and the it, I did, uh, and we do the, we'll do this again sometime when we finally get these bills passed. I will put together a uh, projection of what the next 10 years looks like. Uh, we take the CBO numbers um, and we uh, make some assumptions about um, you know, how income really comes in. But we use, we use the CBO targets in general, but we always assume a recession within 10 years because you typically have one. Mm -hmm. And um, the last time we did this, uh, pre-COVID, by the way, we ended up with, by 2031, the total U.S. debt would be sitting somewhere just south of $50 trillion. That's CBO assumptions and assuming one recession. And that's before we count in Medicare it's before we yeah, that's before in that's but that has nothing to do with Security, any of the underfunded un liabilities. Unfunded stuff. Right, right. Well, you're watching the Bill Walton show, and I'm here with John, very smart economist John Malden, who uh, is again being very not again, but for me, it's been very dismaying talking about the realities of our federal debt and what it means as an overhang for the economy and wealth creation and all of us. So. Uh, are there any forces which would act as a break on this? I don't see it. We had uh, Republicans joining in in the infrastructure bill. I, I'm, I'm less saying within the infrastructure bill is really going to go to bridges and tunnels and, and um, airports and things like that. A whole lot of it goes to things that are not even related to that. But well, that's, I, and, and, and that's why I said I'd, I'd, I'd like to change some things. Okay. But uh, you're trying to get to a compromise bill on that. And so... That's what happens when you do compromises. Uh, I mean, the, the, the last real compromise we had in Washington, D.C. was Clinton and Gingrich. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 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 Newt's a good friend. And I, I, I remember I've written that. Uh, you know, who, who knew that we'd be nostalgic for Clinton and Gingrich? Um, Clinton looks pretty good, particularly with economic uh, policy, in but, hindsight. But in, 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 well, it, but he had um, a willing partner in Newt who was willing to compromise on, on things. Newt gave up a bunch of stuff, but so did Bill. And they... They compromised enough to get us to a balanced budget, which, you know, is, as we all know, that, that went by the wayside under Bush. Um, I mean, I remember Greenspan writing a report, I wrote about it, worrying about what would happen when we ran out of U.S. government debt. Um, and. 
the reason you would worry about that is that there are numerous agencies, investments, things in the financial world that require government debt in order to function. You've got to have them as collateral. Um, in the commodities market are all collateralized by U.S. government debt. You run out of U.S. I mean, yeah, we'd come up with something else uh, to, to replace that with. You'd have to, but it, it was an interesting, you know, thing to think that we could actually pay the debt down. What a what a phenomenal concept! And then you know, I, I that went away. That, that was that was a, that was a happy problem. <laughs> not, not enough. It, it would have been it would have well, been happy. What are the people? I mean, you 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 interact all the time with very sophisticated money managers, investment advisors, mm -hmm. hedge funds. Yet I see a lot of them vote on the left for this, and I wonder how they see this is going to affect their investable universe. I mean, where are the smart guys putting their money now? The smart guys are trading. Or they're trading strategies. They're not trading index funds. I mean, they're not putting their money into index funds and buying and holding. Um, I mean, if you looked at my portfolio, if you, I do have some buy and hold aspects, but they're not index funds. They're specific. I want this company. I want to hold this company and I intend to hold it for a long time. Uh, but that's, I don't know, 20, 30% of my portfolio. The rest of it's just trading strategies. I mean, it's, um, we do a lot, I've got a lot of money with ETF traders, and they'll trade an index fund, but, you know, I'll look up, you know, from week to week, and they'll be long one time, they'll be in cash sometime. Uh, I have a lot of money with uh, managers who trade, and these aren't, these aren't lights out traders, okay? These are boring, I mean, almost bond-like returns, which is, frankly, you know, in the, the world today, seven, eight, nine percent is pretty, thank you very much. There's a lot of private credit that's available out there. Uh, if you're an accredited investor, you can find high single-digit investments. Uh, there's, but what you don't want to do is get into a buy and hold. I, I write all the time, friends don't let friends buy and hold. Um, it, it looks good now. Well, but, we've had a great run the last seven, eight years. Well, it's, it's had a great run since the Great Recession. Um, here's what happens. Uh, Minsky told, you know, gave us the stability creates instability. Uh, Nassim Taleb talks about anti-fragile investments. This is Hyman Minsky. Hyman Minsky, yes. This uh, does all the all the boom and bust and yeah. the credit cycle, yeah. And and what what happens? It, it's one of the reasons that wildfires get so big is we don't allow small wildfires. <clears throat> if you go in and and you actually get rid of the underbrush, you get rid of the fuel, then you, you, you don't have the large wildfires. It's a letter that's, uh, that I write uh, that's actually the best 
the most, most read letter that I've ever had. I call it Fingers of Instability. And the scientist uh, created a sand pile, wondering, you know, we've all gone to the beach as kids. You take your grandkids or you back, you know, you'd go back and you'd pull up, uh, you know, stack up the sand and then some of it would come down and then you'd try to pack it up. And then sometimes you'd have big sand pile, big earth fence. Uh, uh, well, what happens is uh, they started simula simulating it in uh, inside of a computer. Okay? We're going to one, one cent of grain at a time. And there was no, it was kind of random whether you'd get a small avalanche or a big avalanche. Um, and so they said, well, what happens? Well, they started uh, coloring a piece of sand, of sand this imaginary electric, uh, electric sand, green if it was on a stable environment, if it was surrounded by other things. But if it was unstable, they colored it red. And <clears throat> so when you hit, you know, if there's three unstable pieces of sand next to each other and a piece of grain hits it, those three move. Nothing happens. Little, little, little launch, you don't even pay attention to it. But what happens is over time, when you create these big sand piles, you get these fingers of instability that go throughout the entire sand pile that are just there. And the sand pile's building, but so are the fingers of instability. And when they start connecting, you hit the one sand, uh, the, the one big one, and then you get a big thing. And if what you want to do from an from a investment standpoint, from a, this, listen, the same thing happens with earthquakes, it happens with fires, it happens with all sorts of events. It's not just financial events. And so what, what here's what's happened. Um, T.S. Eliot said that a man doesn't know if he's gone too far until he's gone, you know, far, farther than he should have. You have to, you have to, you, to figure out how far you can go, you well, have to go. Why, be willing to why, go too why far. Why do I feel like we're sitting on a big sand pile right now well, at we this are, moment with because, billions of fingers of well, instability? Well, we, that's, precise, and, that's and, precisely and where we are. The thing is we have policymakers that are doing it on purpose. Well, building we, the, we have policymakers that don't understand well, that, that these fingers of instability are there. And they're, they're, we have policymakers... God bless them, they don't have the economic understanding that God gave a goose. I mean, they just don't. I think you're insulting geese. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, the, 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 they think that today will be like yesterday will be like tomorrow, and that, you know, they, um, there's a whole group of them because they're watching Jerome Powell, first Bernanke, then Yellen, now Powell, Federal Reserve Chairman uh, uh, Powell. Uh, use quantitative easing to buy the debt. And they think that that's the exact same thing as modern monetary theory. You're printing money. And, and the answer is no, it's not. And this is what we've had to learn from Japan. Japan has 
bought up something like, uh, I don't know, it's 140, 150%, you don't, don't call me, of their total uh, debt of, of GDP. In fact, right now, uh, the what used to be one of the most liquid markets in the world doesn't even trade if the Bank of Japan doesn't come to the floor. I mean, um, there's they, no market in Japanese. Uh, well, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the Bank of Japan will buy it. I mean, they'll, they'll come in and buy it. But what happens is uh, uh, investors don't want to sell their bonds because they're getting paid something. The insurance companies don't want to pay their bonds. The pension fund companies are required to hold their bonds. So the, the, the bank has bought about all of the debt they can other than what the new issue, new debt that's being issued. Um, and they, but they buy it from the open market, if you will. And that's what quantitative easing is. See, the Fed doesn't buy debt from the Treasury. That would be modern monetary theory. Treasury goes out, borrows money from you and me, you know, Bank of America, whoever buys it, and then the Federal Reserve comes in and says, we would like to buy some of that. And there's a little bit of a spread. People know the Federal Reserve is going to come in. They're now buying 120 million. They know they're going to buy them some of the mortgages. And they make that little spread. And it's, it's a good day at the office. Um, but it, the, the, the cash ends up back at the Federal Reserve as, you know, um, as reserves that are excess reserves. And, and excess reserves are a, a kind of a regulatory accounting fiction. You've got required reserves. Bank has X amount of capital, X amount of loans out, you're required to have X amount of reserves against that. That's your required reserves. Any reserves you have over that is excess reserves. Well, there's no place to put your excess reserves. If banks could loan money, and Bill, you've been in this position, you ran a big financial company. If you had people that could borrow money, you'd lend it to them. That's what you do. You made your money lending, giving, and doing all that stuff. But banks can't find credit-worthy borrowers. And so, I mean, it's... And now we're paying interest on the reserves. So now banks don't have now to that, do now that. Now that they can get interest wow. on their reserves. And it, it's... it's, it's and and it, so it ends up showing up in housing and in the stock market and in other assets. And the Federal Reserve... Even while the St. Louis Fed, I mean, yeah. the, the San Francisco Fed is talking about the problems of uh, inequality and how the Federal Reserve needs to approach um, its policy dealing with in, you know, wealth inequality, the Federal Reserve is the biggest cause of wealth inequality. Uh, they're distorting. They're distorting the world. You're. Uh you're watching the Bill Walton Show, and I'm having a very sobering conversation with uh, John Malden, and we're talking about, if you get the metaphor, large sand, sand piles and fingers of instability, and we're really talking about the Central Bank of Japan or the Federal Reserve or, or, or the mm -hmm. EU in that case, and we've got all the central banks playing roughly the same game. 
Yeah. Oh, there. I mean, and yeah. all the major central banks now. Okay. I mean, well, I mean because uh, they can get away with it. They get well because they have an asset. I mean, for instance, Mexico couldn't do this. Right. Nobody wants the peso, so Mexico actually has to run a much more sober, realistic uh, well, well, central well, bank me, policy. Let me just. I, I mean, wanna, I, wanna, I mean, it, oh. it's it's uh, uh, people oh. want the yen, they want the pound, they want the euro, they want well, the dollar. That, you know, you know. I ask you about trading strategies, and we got some trading strategies that are working sort of today. But I really am worried about an in-game scenario that this thing's got in badly. When you get that much debt, and the EU's got roughly the same amount of debt as a percentage of GDP, and I think Japan does as well. Well, it, going going back to my quote about, uh, you know, Tolstoy. Um, I think it was Tolstoy. But no, um, T. S. Eliot. T. S. Eliot. I've yes. got it right here. Yeah. It says only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Yeah, but then then <laughs> the, uh, the the quote from Hussman says we are about in the financial world. We are now getting ready to find out how says, far how how far is too far in the, the financial. The world. U.S. financial system is bound and determined to find out. Yes. Well, I mean, and and. But what is the, the problem? Is we don't want to know that point. Yeah, but see, you've 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 been you talk with all. I mean, you you have all this incredible knowledge about where we've been, where we are, and where this is likely to go. And we can sit here on the sidelines and say what they're doing in Washington with this with this five or six trillion dollar spending bill. And it's not just even the amount of money; it's just how badly it's going to be allocated. I mean, you know that the capital is better allocated in private hands than through a mm -hmm. government. I mean, because people with, you know, you take any of the smart money managers, you know, you'd much rather have them allocating capital than you would some guy sitting in the commerce department who doesn't know anything about uh, uh, how to how to employ capital. Well, I mean, it's like we end up putting in money in Solyndra and all those other. Silly things. I mean, governments can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm friends with a guy that, who did that in the Treasury, and it, and it didn't. It was not good for him. <laughs> Bottom line. I mean, I, I keep talking about the Great Reset. And what, what, what define the reset? What's the Great okay. Reset? We're going to come to a point where. The game just can't continue. And depending on who's in control, right. we're going to have to reset the rules of the game. The debt, at some point, the financial obligations that we have at some point, in, you know, in terms of the unpaid liabilities, all of that can't happen. Something can't happen, it won't happen. So we're going to have to reset our expectations. We're going to have to reset how the debt functions. We're going to have to reset the value of that debt. I mean, remember, if I owe you a dollar, that's, I, I, it's a, a liability on my book, but it's an asset on your book. Well, that was a, that's my next question. Who owns the world's debt? I know the U.S. debt. The Fed owns about a the, third of the it. Fed, the Fed owns a bunch of it, and um, uh, Japan owns a bunch of it, uh, of their own debt. Europe uh, owns a lot of their debt. Europe's complicated. Uh, but 
how far can we go with with um, let me the the, the, the central banks uh, uh, buying debt? The answer is we just don't know. Well, you, you, we, you, we, 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 we are we are like like Hussman said, we're we're trying to find out what the limits are. And we don't want to know that limit. But when we get to that point where we have to reset things, okay, it'll be a crisis. And the only way that all of this is going to get resolved, because you're not going to be able to uh, get this Congress or any Congress that I can imagine coming up, you're not going to be able to get them to agree until we're in the middle of a crisis. Well, I'd love to get somebody in there who knows what they're doing. I mean, one of the things that Clinton also did is he had Bob Rubin as Treasury Secretary, and you know, when we get to this great reset, we're going to have a we're going to have a discussion with the bondholders. And let me try this scenario. It strikes me my private equity experience tells me we're we're looking at a cram down, and we got <laughs> we got we got fifty trillion dollars of debt. And, you know, the, between 30 trillion and 50 trillion, about 10 trillion of that is going to pay interest on that debt. Yeah. So we're compounding right. the problem. We're paying, we're borrowing money to pay interest, right. which, is a, which is something the mafia loves for you to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, think, I think the great reset's going to be some sort of cram down. Well, Everybody's going to decide, it, look, it, we can't pay you. So you're going to take 20 cents instead of a buck. But that's why I said. It depends on who's in charge as to the nature of who gets crammed down. And <coughs> well, uh, we, need, we need a new team on the field. Well, <laughs> we, we, we do need a new team on the field. But, Bill, in all honesty, the team that you and I nominally would want on the field. The R's aren't much better. The R's aren't much better. Mm -mm. I mean, I mean, I, I, mm -mm. with the exception of some of my social views, I'm more liberal socially than I was 50 years ago. I think a lot of us are that way. Mm -hmm. um, but economically, I don't think I've changed that much. But somehow or another, I'm finding myself in the middle now, and I don't think I've moved. I mean, what happened? How did, how did I get to be the middle? Um, I mean, if, if you came to John Walden, and, and, and I, I think what we're going to have to do is completely, I mean, I completely change the way we tax in total. We're going to have to go to a consumption tax, a, a large bat, 20, 21, 22, 23%. Get rid of Social Security. We roll Social Security into the vat. Um, uh, we uh, uh, a consumption in, tax, but no income tax. I would, if I had my way, I would prefer no income tax. I don't think you could get that through a compromise. They're going to want to have some kind of income tax, but I wouldn't start the income tax till $100,000. Well, and then from, say, 100000 to a million at 
10 or 15 percent over a million, maybe 15 to 20, something, something that is, what I want to do is I want to incentivize, and economics is all about incentives, I want to incentivize people to save money and to invest money um, and to make money. And, and uh, well, we're not we're not doing that even we're, remotely we're, when you look not, at what's coming out of that, Washington. But, but, it, but it's killing incentives to almost, work. Look at, look almost at the, any economist would agree that a consumption tax is better than an income tax. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'd be an interesting conversation to have with Krugman. He, I, I, I think I think even Krugman would would agree, but he'd still want to, you know, he wouldn't give up the income tax. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give up. And, and, and and there's too many people that want, well, it's it's just, it's a position of envy. They don't want rich people. Listen, hand me your pad. Let me show you something. All right. I'll give you a blank sheet of paper. Well, I'm just going to use the pad as an op. Okay. Here, throw me, throw me your pad. Real quickly. You're uh, you're watching The Walton Show. I'm here with John L. Malden, and we're about to go graphic uh, to talk about uh, some of the economic points that we think need to be illustrated. Okay. So we're drawing a, so a square. It, a square. Now, this is the wealth disparity, this, this line here. you got poor people here. you got the rich up here. And this is the economy. Now, what happens if you grow the economy to this size. We've made the pie bigger, but now there's going to be people up here. You can't grow this pie bigger, no matter how you want it, without making this line. I mean, you can tax it down to this, but there's still going to be people up here, and there's still going to be people down here. So until you get to where the economy eventually is the size of this paper, and you, you, know, you end up with Jeff Bezos with $150 billion and Bill Gates, Seven of the top richest men in America are self-made billionaires. We don't want to not encourage that. And it doesn't bother me at all, even though I don't, I mean, like, I don't like what they're doing with their money, but I don't, it doesn't, it's untroubling that like, they make I, that much. I, I like Elon Musk and I like Bill Bezos putting us in space. God bless them. You know, uh, I happen to be a... I'm, I'm one of those guys that grew up with Heinlein and Asimov, and I want to. I want to get if, if I if I had a chance to get on that. Uh, did you Did you grow up near Houston? I grew up. Oh no, near Fort Worth. Okay. Out out Dallas. in West Texas. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, assuming that Fort Worth is where the West began, but the, the um, I mean, you can't get rid of wealth inequality. Now. Wealth inequality is not as bad as they say because most of the progressives don't include pensions. Most of them they don't. They don't include uh, Social Security, uh, Medicare, those types of things. Yeah, and, Phil Graham and, says if he had all that in, it's really yeah, really it, not it, that much. Uh, well, difference. It, it's you'd it's still inequality yeah. and it's still unequal and it will always be unequal. That's the nature of capitalism. If you try to 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 get it to where everybody's equal, um, it, it just it it doesn't work. Now you can have high taxes and you can cut you know can you know you can spread it around some. Um, if you've got a culturally cohesive society, which we don't, um, you can you can you know get more 
But what happens is when you do have those high taxes, we go to Europe, you don't get anywhere near the innovation or the growth. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, you tax something, you get less of it. So yeah. if, you tax, if you tax income and you tax labor, you get less labor. And you mm. get less people, you get fewer entrepreneurs that want to risk something. And so the, you kill the incentives. Well, you, you kill the incentives, but you, you kill that, goes back to where I said investment equals savings. When you, mm -hmm. when, when you can't get enough savings, you don't have enough investments. And, and you need that capital formation. Um, this, is the, this is the great mistake that China is making. You said you wanted to talk about China, so let's we'll, we'll jump into that. Tell me, tell me when we're going to shut up. So I don't, I don't know what, what's our time frame here. I'm not paying any attention. We've got we've got another two three minutes in this mm. segment, and then we're going to go have some sushi, and then we're going to uh, start again. Okay. China was backdoor using the U.S. to raise raise money, and now they're. But they don't. They you know now they're they're probably going to get kicked off the exchanges because they don't want to allow uh, their company to be d disclosure. They don't want to allow for, for accounting, and and they think now they can raise all the money they need in Hong Kong, which may be. But the problem you've got when you start telling your entrepreneurs there's limits. And you've got to get in line and you've got to make sure that your business is actually in the business of pursuing the uh, dreams of the party. That, you, that the party should be paramount, not profits, not serving the customer, not creating that. And when you do that, you're going to choke off that entrepreneurial drive. I mean... The Chinese, the Chinese diaspora, okay, all over Asia, are remarkably entrepreneurial. Um, for that matter, the, the 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 best French restaurants, I'm told, and the best French businesses are all in London. Uh, you know, it's it, it's not it's not that the French aren't entrepreneurial or uh, the Italians we know are uh, in the northern, but you. You've got to give them the opportunities and the incentives and the, and, and the ability to get the government out of their way so that they can create something that customers want. And when you start telling them, we just don't like your business model or uh, we think that uh, you should only be allowed to uh, be on um, games for so long. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, I'm not a big game fan, but um, well, that's what the but, Chinese, but, 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 the Chinese government disapproves of games. It disapproves of the consumer economy. They want the economy back to good old manufacturing, and and it's a very uh, you know. I, I'm going to give you one interesting story, and then we'll close. This is like two decades ago now, decade and a half ago, the Chinese sent um, a group of researchers into the big you know, companies, Microsoft, Apple, Google, 
and saying, why is there innovation here and not in China? What's, what's, what is it about the people in these companies? And you know what the common denominator was? They've all read science fiction. <laughs> now, China actually banned you science fiction. Our director fiction. here writes science fiction. Okay. So he's, okay, you've already got at least two of us in the room that are in, okay. in, in violent agreement. The, 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 the Chinese went back and they started allowing uh, uh, Chinese writers to write science fiction. In fact, uh, some of the Chinese writers, some of the best uh, science fiction right now is being written, uh, as Lee, the three-body problem, uh, fabulous stories. And, and you get science fiction written from an Asian perspective. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Hmm. Uh, because they, they come at it from a different cultural expectation than um, we do. There's, there's some fabulous science fiction coming out of South America. Again, different cultural expectations that weave themselves into their, their uh, characters, into their people, uh, into their exploration. But it's that creativity. It's, it's not the science fiction. It's that you're allowed to think. Allowed to think. You're yeah. allowed to create. You're allowed to dream. And when China takes away the ability of people to create and think, they're going to choke off that creativity uh, that they're really quite capable of doing. And here we come back to the U.S. getting ready to make the same damn problem we are going to choke off our capital supply. We're going to choke off our creativity. We're going to choke off the drive that people need to be able to start companies. Bill, I don't know about you, but I've woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning and wondering, do I, am I going to pay the car bill today? Do I pay the electric bill? Am I going to pay my secretary? Can I... Which customer can I get money from? And then so I can write a check. This was back in the 80s when we could do this. Sure, I've been you there. Know, I've been there. Where you write a check on a South Dakota bank because it took two years, I mean, took two weeks to come back through the clear. And you hope to God. Weren't those South Dakota banks great? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you hope to God you could get enough <coughs> money from your, your customers that they would pay you so you could run to the bank and beat that South uh, Dakota check coming back. I mean, it, it, it was, we all did it. Okay. I mean, it was because it was, Prime was 18%. I mean, dear God, what could you do? And, and you had a dream and you made it work. That's a final word for this segment. This segment. With John Mulder. And, and next segment, we're going to get positive and tell, tell you why the world is better than it's ever well, going to be. Well, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the product, new, new industries that are being created, the new technologies. There we go. Uh, I want to talk about why uh, Germany, how, how do Germany and China compare in innovation? Yeah. Uh, I also want to find out about how you can get along with 
negative interest rates in Germany. <laughs> um, anyway, there are all sorts of, we've covered about 2% of what we need to really get yeah. into. So we've been watching the Bill Walton show, John Malden, we're in our first segment, and we're going to come back and talk some more about uh, all things economic. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, you can find us at uh, on YouTube at the Bill Walton Show uh, channel and also our own website, BillWaltonShow.com, as well as all the other major podcast platforms. So uh, thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.